Glory to Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 of the Holy Rule, St. Benedict says that the abbot is believed to hold the place of Christ in the monastery. The monastery is a Eucharistic organism, a body composed of members who, in the diversity of their gifts and in the unity of the Holy Spirit and under the headship of Christ, live and function together for the glory of the Father. What St. Benedict says of the monastery is preeminently true of the local church. And so, my Lord, I welcome you among us today as the visible presence of Christ, our High Priest, our Shepherd, and our Teacher. The monastery exists in the Church, and by the Church, and for the Church, not in any vague and disembodied way, but in a real way. And this because the monastery lives, this monastery lives, at the heart of the Church of Neath, and so looks to you, my Lord, as to Christ. The Christian home is also a Eucharistic organism. An ecclesiola, a little church, under the headship of a father, into the care of a mother, Tom and Ellen, your presence among us today for the monastic profession of your son is a living witness to the domestic church, the family, without which there would be no monasteries, and without which there would be no local church. Without which the church cannot renew her youth, nor send men to her altars, nor bear witness to Christ in the world. And so, by a wonderful working of God's providence, we have here today three manifestations of the body of Christ united in one church. The Bishop of Neve, united to his people, the Grinevich family, and the monastic family. And now, my dear son, Brother Chrysostom, you know well what our Father St. Benedict says concerning the admission of men to the monastery, to him that newly cometh to change his life, let not an easy entrance be granted. But as the apostle saith, try the spirits, if they be of God. Shortly after you first knocked at the door of Silver Stream, I wrote you, you will remember, an honest and hard-hitting 
letter. I wrote, Men coming to Silverstream to be monks must not expect to find the tranquility of an established abbey with gleaming cloisters and spacious precincts and well-established routines. A vocation to Silverstream is more than an ordinary monastic vocation. It is a call to enter generously into the hardships and sacrifices of living as monastic pioneers. Men who cling obstinately to their own conceptions of what Benedictine life ought to be will not do well at Silverstream. The will of God comes to us not in what ought to be, but in what is. Holiness for us, here and now, lies in trusting abandonment to all that divine providence wills or permits. Men who are looking for the calm and security of a well-ordered life in which there are no surprises, no setbacks, and no interruptions, should not think of entering at Silverstream. And you, dear son, were not daunted by what I wrote you. Quite the contrary. You replied to me. Regarding your precautions about life at Silverstream, my own sense is that the generosity and sacrifice of entering into the charism of founding is precisely what I need. My intention is set more firmly than it has been on anything to persevere in this path until death or until I am sent away. I would not take a more established monastic life because that is not to where God has led me. I am undissuaded by the material poverty of Silverstream, the lack of gleaming cloisters or spacious precincts, because it is not any of these things that have attracted me, but ability to do the one thing. I have striking evidence the one thing I have set my heart upon. If I could, you write, I would be hidden in the rock with Moses or immolated with Saint Ignatius, becoming God's pure wheat, ground by the teeth of beasts. If God permits, I would be all these things because I have never known success in mediocrity, half-heartedness, or lukewarmness. And I have only ever found joy in giving without limits. I trust that God has not led me this far in vain. Whatever the sacred agony of testing and whatever the crosses of this way of life, I hope that God will permit me the grace of persevering and winning whatever crown he has prepared for me together with my brothers and fathers. Today, three years later, Brother Chrysostom, after having been tested and after having shared our life 
You are here, ready to sing what generations of monks have sung before you. Sushi pe me domine, secundum elopium tum, et vivam. Take thou me unto thyself, O Lord, and I shall live. Et non confundas me ab expectatione mea. And let me not be confounded in my expectation. Last evening, dear son, you came to me after Vespers, missile in hand, to share with me an extraordinary discovery. What you had to share left me grateful and amazed. It was striking evidence of what we like to call the liturgical providence of God. You reminded me that you arrived here in Ireland and crossed the threshold of Silver Stream on May 31st, 2017. For us here, it was the Feast of Mary, Mediatrix of All Graces. And you walked into the oratory during the celebration of Holy Mass. The Alleluia verse that particular Mass was, oh wonder, the very same passage that we heard just a few moments ago in the lesson from Isaiah <coughs> given us for this Feast of the Epiphany. Lift up thy eyes round about and see, all these are gathered together, they come to thee, thy sons shall come from afar and thy daughters shall rise up at thy side. Now, no amount of human planning or foresight could have made this happen. If ever a confirmation you needed of the providence of God guiding your steps and bringing you to the place where he wants you to be, I think you have it. And, as is always the case, when God speaks to us, through the sacred liturgy. He does so not merely by means of the text, but also by means of the context. The prophet is singing of the restoration of Jerusalem, of the repeopling of the holy city, once forsaken, but called by God to a great rejuvenation. Lift up thy eyes round about and see all these are gathered together. They are come to thee. The church, singing these words in the light of the Epiphany, knows that they are mystically addressed to the Virgin Mother, who, like a living monstrance, holds her son and shows him to all who come to adore him. And entering into the house, they found the child with Mary, his mother. As I said to you yesterday, she holds him and she shows him. And falling down, they adored him. The same words are addressed to the church herself. The church, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. The church here in Silver Stream in the Diocese of Meath, and in every place in the world. Because 
All that the liturgy says to Mary or sings concerning her may be equally addressed to the church and sung of her. The epiphany prophecy of Isaiah is a message of immense hope for the church, a promise of light, a pledge of rejuvenation. Thy sons shall come from afar, and thy daughters shall rise up at thy side. With the showing of Christ and the adoration of the Magi, a great liturgical procession is set in motion, one in which all the nations of the earth and even the isles afar off will play their part. Isaac of Stella, the 12th century Cistercian abbot, whom the fathers of the Second Vatican Council saw fit to cite in chapter 8 of Lumen Gentium, tells us that what is said of the Blessed Virgin Mary in a special way may be said of the Church in a universal way. And what is said of the Church in a universal way may be said in a particular sense of the individual Christian. The abbot of Stella concludes, Christ dwelt for nine months in the tabernacle of Mary's womb. He dwells until the end of the ages in the tabernacle of the Church's faith. He will dwell forever in the knowledge and love of each faithful soul. And so, there is a sense, dear son, in which the words that you heard on the very day of your arrival here, May 31st, 2017, and that you hear again on the day of your monastic profession, are addressed to you. Lift up thy eyes round about, and see, all these are gathered together. They are come to thee. Thy sons shall come from afar, and thy daughters shall rise up at thy side. You will, Brother Chrysostom, by our Lord's grace, and this is my prayer for you today, you will grow as a man and as a monk into a spiritual fatherhood that although it be hidden and silent and lonely, like the host on the corporal and in the tabernacle, will be nonetheless generative. That is mysteriously life-giving for the church. Thy sons shall come from afar. Already there are brothers who have come after you. Each one has his part to play in the church's procession towards the glory of the Lord. I shall say nothing for the moment concerning the other half of the verse. <laughs> and thy daughters shall rise up at thy side. <laughs> for no word shall be impossible with God. You are ready, dear son, to make your offering. Give Christ today the gold of your heart's love. Give him the frankincense of your liturgical prayer, of your faithful presence in choir, to sing his praises, of your silent adoration 
in the radiance of his Eucharistic face. Give him the myrrh of all that in your monastic life may prove bitter or hard or costly because it involves a death to the old man. Arise and be enlightened, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. And now, my son, who has abandoned the world and taken refuge with God, thou art standing before him at his most holy altar in the presence of the brethren who dwell in this monastery. Tell me then, dost thou promise for three years stability, the conversion of thy manners, and obedience here in the presence of God and of his saints? I do promise. 